You're listening to Radio Influence. To Crush Performance with the Crusher, Jeff Crushell. Get in on the talent grid and text Crush at 10 12 60 with your questions, comments, or smart ass remarks. And welcome to Crush Performance, everybody. Jeff Kershell here, the con man behind the glass. We are your weekly source for performance information. Listen, if you want to reach out to us, do so. Crushperformance.com is the website. Info at Crush Performance is our email. And on social media, you can follow me at Jeff Crush on Twitter and on Facebook, Instagram, and our cool new YouTube channel. Search out Crush Performance and we'll hook you up with the very latest in the world of performance. And we've got a lot of cool things happening on the social media side here in 2020 for Crush Performance, so stay tuned to all of that. Well, today, a very important show as we tackle one of our top priorities here for 2020. We are going to get into the conversation of specialization and early specialization in sport. The upside of the downside with the greatest of intentions. Could we be destroying more talent than we're creating? Well, the data is saying one thing, while the trends and the things we're seeing in the developmental landscape in sport are telling an entirely different story. Could we be going down the wrong path? Well, we're going to get to it today. We'll be joined later in the show by Dr. Timothy Griffith, orthopedic surgeon at Peachtree Orthopedics in Atlanta, Georgia. He specializes in shoulder, elbow, and knee treatments. He's also the team head physician for the Georgia Swarm of the National Lacrosse League and also a team physician for our good friends at the Atlanta Braves. It's going to be very, very interesting to get this perspective on this very important issue that uh, we're facing here in sport and um, the implications of what's going on uh, resonate from grassroots right up to the professional leagues. We know that in the majority of our professional sports, injury rates are at an all-time high. Yes, we know the competitive schedules are demanding, and they're also not set up for player performance or even player success. It's a survival game when we look at the competitive schedules. But the injury rates that we're seeing and the injuries that the professional athletes are experiencing, they may be happening in professional sports, but I've got a funny feeling. If we look at what's really going on, In the sporting landscape, these injuries are happening long before, or at least started happening, started building long before any of these athletes signed their college scholarships or their professional contracts. We're going to get to the bottom of it today. And again, it's going to be interesting to get the perspective of Dr. Griffith coming from the injury management, rehabilitation, and even surgery side. He's also a father of three, so he's got interests there. And uh, he's dealing with some of the top athletes in the world. But at his clinic, he consults with and sees families with children at every single level every day. And some of the stories are are very interesting. So we're very, very glad to have him on today. Uh, But before we get to that, a very, very interesting time in sport Major League Baseball, again, on the front pages for not the best of news, 
But I'm going to tell you this right now. I'm kind of proud of the stance Major League Baseball has taken once again. I think one of the leaders in sport when it comes to the doping and addressing the doping issues, uh, at least in their sport. But what Major League Baseball did in the PED scandals to clean up their mess, the mess that, the mess that you could argue they let um, culminate and build for years and years and years, uh, the steps they've taken uh, is leading professional sports in terms of testing, uh, the penalties and the punishments for trying to cut corners. Well, it's gone to the other side now. The Houston Astros have felt the wrath of the commissioner's office for their allegations proven to be fact now in their sign stealing system they orchestrated over the course of this last year and maybe years beyond um the gm and manager both being suspended and then dismissed suspended by the league and then dismissed by uh the houston astros jeff ludlow and manager aj hinch are now uh without jobs not only that Houston forfeits its first and second round draft picks in the 2020 and 2021 draft as part of the penalties and the highest fine possible, allowable, under the Major League Constitution, a $5 million fine. All for a very elaborate and orchestrated scheme to steal signs during the season. I love this message. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, Is the penalty exaggerated? Is it off balance with the crime? I don't think so. I think this is right on point and good for Major League Baseball. And things like this resonate. As we talked about, you know, the PED issues that MLB has now been a leader on, uh, they are sending a clear shot across the bow that cheating is not acceptable. And I love the implications here, not just for an even playing field in Major League Baseball, but how this is going to resonate down through the baseball world, right to the grassroots level. And the message it's sending to young, aspiring ballplayers from the grassroots right up to the pros, but also how this may influence other sports. You know, we can look at deflate gate in the NFL and some of the things that the Patriots have been accused of. Has the NFL been this strong in their punishments? Uh, we can look at what's happening with, uh, let's take the Russian ban on international sports. WADA and the IOC, International Olympic Committee. Have they been strong enough? Was that the message that needed to be sent? Banning, a total ban on Russian involvement in international sport. And now they're working to make sure that the athletes that didn't participate, the athletes that really dedicated themselves to doing it the right way, the clean way, are going to have an avenue to still chase down their dreams and compete at the Olympics and international competitions. But they now have to prove that they've been clean. That's not going to be an easy process. But all this stuff happening in this new age of sport, I absolutely love it. So we'll be watching this story and the ramifications within not just the baseball world, but the sporting world as the Houston Astros get massively fined for sign stealing. And uh, we're going to have some conversations here coming up as spring training approaches. Um, How much of a difference did it really make? Stealing a few signs here and there. Yeah, you can understand that a hitter knowing which pitch is coming or knowing what's going to be happening uh, could have a market advantage. But is it worth it in light of this punishment? Oh, this might be a great deterrent for anybody else who's trying to scheme or think of ways to cut the system or cheat. Let's face it, cheat. This is right on, right on par with my stance on doping. And I know a lot of you agree with me. Some of you don't agree with me, but I will say it again. And I kind of like the 
stance on this, you know, for the most part in professional sports, if you're caught cheating, if you have a positive test for doping, it wasn't some mistake. It wasn't some, you know, over-the-counter cough medicine. I'm not talking about that stuff. That happens. There's positive tests because of that. I'm talking about athletes that literally go out of their way to strategically get an advantage through PEDs, doping, or whatever means outside the boundaries of the rules. If you're tested positive, you're caught red-handed, you don't get into the Hall of Fame. You should not be at the All-Star Game. You should not be eligible for any type of bonuses inside the lines of your contract if you have a positive test. Now, if you don't have a positive test, speculation doesn't count here. I just, we have to rule it out. Yeah, you may have doubts. Yeah, there might be gray areas, but unless you have a positive test, a definitive positive test, hey, it's just speculation beyond that. So, wow, interesting times for Major League Baseball, and I'm uh, actually quite proud of what they've done there. It is a clear shot across the bow for anybody else who's thinking of bending the rules to get an advantage. So, onwards. Today, listen, we've got a really big show coming up as we again address one of the crushed priorities for 2020, specialization in sport. If you are specializing your young athlete before the age of 12, some studies will say the age of 10, I believe you're playing with fire. And if you want to look forward, because listen, athlete player development is a long game and you need to look forward. Just look at the numbers. If you look at uh, 2016, Ohio State football and their recruitment class, out of the 57 recruits, 42 of them were multi-sport athletes. Look at the 2019 NFL draft, 29 of 32 of the first round draft picks were multi-sport athletes. As a matter of fact, 90% of all Super Bowl players last year in 2019 were multi-sport athletes. In the NCAA, 94.7% of all collegiate athletes were multi-sport, playing multiple sports up to at least the age of 14, over 45% of them up to the age of 16. So there's the reasoning. Now let's get down to the nuts and bolts. Stick around. Right after the break, we dive into specialization in sport, Right here on Crush Performance. Find out what it takes to be a top performer. Get the Crush blog, podcast, and newsletter at crushperformance.com. Now, back to the show. Hey, and welcome back to Crush Performance, everybody. Hey, you want to reach out to us? Questions, comments, smart remarks? Do so. Crushperformance.com is the website. Info at Crush Performance is our email. We answer every single message we get. So reach out if you have any questions or if you have a topic you'd like us to investigate, let us know. We may dedicate a segment or an entire episode to your idea. We've done it in the past and we love it because you guys get us thinking about things, well, that we might not be thinking about right now. So uh, we love that interaction. So do not hesitate to reach out if you have the inclination. On Twitter, you can follow me at Jeff Crush. And on Facebook, Instagram, and our YouTube channel, search out Crush Performance, and we can hook you up there today. Well, a very, very important discussion as we kick off one of our main themes for 2020, and that is specialization in sport. What do you need to know? What is the downside of trying to give your young athletes everything they need to be successful? Well, there is a, quite a downside, and it goes sometimes well beyond sport. If we look at the impact sport is having not just on the athletic careers of our athletes and players that leaks into the real life stuff that goes on around the game. And that is injuries, lack of sleep, stress, depression, where sports should be a real positive influence 
on an athlete's life, sometimes it can turn the other way and for a number of different reasons. And to help us talk about this very important topic today, we are joined by Dr. Timothy Griffith, orthopedic surgeon at Peachtree Orthopedics in Atlanta, Georgia, specializing in shoulder, elbow, and knee treatments. He's also the head physician for the Georgia Swarm of the National Lacrosse League and a team physician with our good friends at the Atlanta Braves. Dr. Griffith, welcome to Crush Performance. Thanks for joining us today. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's an honor. Well, listen, I was really excited to uh, kick our year off with this conversation. Of course, a couple of our major themes this year, organizational performance, and well, a big part of that, of course, is player health. And the player health issues that we're seeing at the top levels of sport, I think we can almost reverse engineer them to some of the issues we're seeing in developmental and youth sport. And that's why these conversations on specialization are so important. Uh, your presentation in Calgary, uh, where I met you, uh, was absolutely amazing. And I'm glad you could join us today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. And it was a great opportunity to get to uh, speak on that topic and for as long as we did. And I, I'm glad that we're recognizing um, that just like you said, some of these issues in our youth are, are turning into issues in our athletes later on at the collegiate professional level. And so if we can start when everyone's young and, and increase the recognition of this problem, I think we're going to see better athletes over time. And, and more importantly, just people continue to play sports over time because now we're seeing people pull out and quit playing um, because of early injuries or just being inundated in one sport and kind of losing interest in it. Yeah, and one thing I really like about your perspective, Tim, is the fact that you're in the trenches. You're not just, well, and, and, and on maybe on the, on the negative side, you're, you're dealing with the, with the cleanup of the mess that we're creating in youth sport. And I've said this many times, and I'll say it again here today, that you know if we really, really look at the landscape today, especially in youth and development sport, we're probably destroying more talent than we're creating with the greatest of intentions sometimes. And now you're the uh, head team physician for the Georgia uh, Swarm, uh, the National Lacrosse League, and of course you're a team physician with the Atlanta Braves as well. So you're seeing it from all perspectives at all levels of sport. Uh, but maybe talk about your practice uh, and some of the things you guys have been seeing in your medical offices down there in terms of the trends and injuries uh, that we're now experiencing pretty much at every level of sport. Yeah, yeah, and that's a great, a great point. And, and my practice, you know, as an orthopedic surgeon, everybody thinks all we do is surgery. Um, but I think that's, that kind of goes to your point in that most of what we're doing is really just seeing patients, and, and the majority of them don't actually need surgery, thankfully. But um, in, in going through our clinic, we're seeing people who we were going to turn into a surgical situation. And that's, that's kind of something I think sports specialization has created for us. So, you know, the majority of my practice um, is knee, shoulder, and elbow surgery or injuries. And I would say probably the most common thing I see is, is ACL injuries, which we know are, are uh, continuing to increase, especially in our female patients. Um, but then the Tommy John or ulnar collateral ligament injuries is another one I've seen just explode over the past five or 10 years in baseball players who are playing year-round baseball. Um, and so that's something I'm seeing more and more often. I sometimes almost feel like I'm, I'm somewhat of a psychiatrist or psychologist as well, though, because mm -hmm. I spent a lot of my time in clinic talking to parents and kind of trying to educate them about some of the things we're talking about today. So as, as you said, they have great intentions. They're willing to throw money at the situation. They're willing to do anything they can to support their kids at becoming good athletes. Uh, but they don't realize that, that some of those very things are the things that are causing damage. We're talking with Dr. Timothy Griffin, head team physician for the Georgia Swarm of the National Lacrosse League, team physician for the Atlanta Braves. Uh, it's interesting. We know that um, we're trying to not only get our youth and our, our young people active, and as you mentioned, active for life, 
Um, but we're trying to keep them active as well. Right now, currently, the, the data suggests that around 77 to 80 percent of 15 to 19 year olds in U.S. and Canada are participating in sport. There's just so many benefits to participation in sport, whether it's just for fun or whether you find yourself chasing down a performance pathway. Um, but those overuse injuries we're seeing um, are 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 getting alarming. The overuse injuries and injuries related to early specialization. And when we start talking about some of the numbers that you mentioned, 70% dropout rate between 13 and 15-year-olds, that's a dropout of organized sport. And when we look at this group, uh, 13 to 15-year-olds having the largest uh, percentage of injuries in all of sport, around 37%, these are numbers we can kind of use as guides, I believe, to maybe do some serious problem solving because we're at a point now where we need to do some problem solving. Don't you agree? I agree 100%. And, you know, that you look at that 13 to 15-year-old population, those are um, both male and females. It's just kind of the, the peak exponential period of growth in their life. And so you have to imagine, you know, your growth plates are still open. The muscles and tendons are, are not necessarily keeping up with the longitudinal growth of the bone. And, and now you've got people getting that are kind of primed to be an injury. So, you know, just playing sports alone can be a situation where they're more likely to get injured than, than maybe a full-blown adult. But then you're also exposing them to, you know, sometimes year-round activities, and that's going to amplify that that um, that risk. And, and then those same 13 to 15-year-olds, at least in my practice, are the ones I'm seeing that, that are just kind of beaten down by that situation and beaten down by the system, and they're the ones that kind of quit. And so they, they don't get the benefits later on as young adults or, or even full, full adults uh, later in life. Well, we know that injuries are one of the big reasons – kids or anybody drops out of sport. Nobody wants to be hurt, and certainly nobody wants to be injured or broken. But there's times here now um, when we see uh, the other issues surrounding this early specialization and the pressure we're putting on our young athletes to succeed in sport at every level, right down to 8, 9, 10-year-olds. Um, it's not fun anymore. And when it starts not being fun, this is where a lot of issues start start um, uh, coming around, uh, not just the dropout rates, but we also know that anxiety, depression, and stress are also highly correlated to the injury rates. Exactly, exactly right. You know, I think, um, you know, there, there's some pathologic situations where you have with the, with the patient and parent, uh, with, the, with the child and the parent relationship um, that you see kind of um, go, coming through with all this as well. Um, and so, yeah, I think, you know, our problem is that everybody wants the college scholarship. Everybody wants to be a professional athlete. And, and you look at the numbers on, on what the true odds of that happening are. and They're very dismal. Um, it's so much better and so much healthier to just get kids into athletic activities, get them into sports, period. I don't think there's anything wrong with year-round activity. I think, you know, to play football, basketball, lacrosse, any dif- different number of sports, you're developing different groups of muscles. That's good for you. I think it's where you're excluding all the sports for one sport, um, you know, for whatever reason there is, uh, that you really run into trouble. And so um, I think we need to focus on more just getting our kids active, having them try different things, having them find something they love and enjoy. And when they're passionate for it, um, you know, that is going to translate to such a better situation. And, And ironically, we're seeing more and more data that those who are playing multiple sports are the ones who make it as professional athletes. I mean, we've got data from, from the NBA. We've got data from the MLB. Multiple studies showing that those who play multiple sports play more games as professional athletes and have less injuries. So the irony is if we would just kind of have fun and kind of let, let these kids kind of find something they're passionate about and kind of follow their path, I think we'd, we'd actually have more success.
Yeah, we're talking with Dr. Timothy Griffith, orthopedic surgeon, team physician for the Atlanta Braves and the Georgia Swarm. Such a great point. You know, I think you mentioned a very, very important factor there, and that's the fun factor. You know, a lot of conversations are now revolving around this increasing cost cost of youth sport and developmental sport. Uh, but it doesn't have to be expensive. It doesn't cost a lot to get the boys and the your pals around the neighborhood out uh, playing street hockey or shooting hoops or playing a pickup game of baseball. And I think that's one of the key factors that's missing in today's day and age, especially when it comes to creativity. If you want to get a kid passionate about sport, get him out with his friends, showing off, showboating a little bit, having fun in a real safe environment, um, and you could see some magic happening. And we hear this from so many of the top athletes today. I'm just really surprised. It doesn't resonate better with the parents of these young athletes who are, you know, specializing early and going full tilt year round. Right, right. Yeah. Excellent points there. And I, I think the, the things that come to mind are, um, you know, there, there's a lot of business behind this now. You know, um, these there's studios and, and, and camps and this, that and the other. There's year round travel ball. Um, and I think a lot of people are making a lot of money off the situation. And unfortunately, that sometimes is going to you know take people's um, uh, priorities and pick and take them in the wrong direction. And you know I remember you know you and I are are fairly similar in age. And I remember when we were younger. Everybody just kind of ran ran around the neighborhood and had fun and played basketball with their friends. And you know people um, kids aren't the same these days. They're in front of their tablets. They're at home. They're nobody runs around riding their bike anymore. And 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 somewhat the culture has changed. And I think that's probably in the states and in Canada. Yeah, no, and it is. It's across the world. It's it, it's around the world now, and that that sort of um, that that industrialization, I suppose you'd want to call it, of developmental sport was a real, real tipping point. I think when we look at the onset of when these injuries happen. I mean, if we reverse engineer the, let's say, a 23-year-old uh, Major League Baseball player or NFL player, and take them back 10 years to when they're 13. You know, we're starting to get now towards the early 2000s, you know, maybe even into the late 90s when we really started to see a turn in the frequency and the number of these injuries. And I believe, you know, if you look back through the timeline, there's a massive changes that happened during that time period of the mid 90s to the mid 2000s. And uh, one of them, as is as you mentioned, uh, this whole business of developmental sport. And there was a great article a couple of years ago. I want to say it was 2017 or 2018 in Sports Illustrated, how youth sport became a $15 billion industry. And they talk about some of the wow. stress that's putting on parents and families and sporting organizations right now. And also how it's lending into some of the issues we're seeing from the physical health side of these young athletes. Exactly. I mean, you look at Tom Brady, he played three sports in high school. Yes. You know, I think they, they surveyed um, the Super Bowl athletes two years ago and, and found that over 90% of the players had played multiple sports in high school. Um, and I, I remember seeing data out of the draft in 2017, and, and there was around 250 players, and, and well over 200 of them had played multiple sports in high school. So just like you said, these are people who, who were growing up kind of in that time at, where I think we were just kind of going out and playing. And uh, now we've we've kind of strayed from that a little bit and, and you either have the kids in the house on the tablet or you have them in a, a highly specialized camp where everybody's only pitching all day. And, and, it, and so we've kind of lost something in the middle, that kind of middle ground that I think is the, the area that's a little healthier. Yeah, we're speaking with Dr. Timothy Griffith, uh, orthopedic surgeon specializing in shoulder, elbow and knee from Peachtree 
Orthotics in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, Tim, in your clinic, let's talk about sort of the things you're seeing and the trends you're seeing, especially with the youth. We talked a little bit about it earlier, but I think one thing that parents and coaches really need to understand, and especially through those very, very delicate, uh, rapid growth years, is that younger athletes are at higher risk of injury because they need more rest than mature athletes. I think that's sometimes um, thought about uh, in in a reverse perspective where people think, hey, man, they're young, they recover quickly, they can do more. That's not the case at all. That's exactly right. I mean, if if you look at professional athletes, if you look at guys like I work with in, in the Braves or in, in the Swarm, these are guys who, who have largely their entire day to dedicate to the athletic endeavors, whether they're you know practicing, whether they're working with a therapist. You take a, a kid in middle school or in high school who has a full day at school, okay, and then they leave school, they've probably got homework to do, and then they're going to you know, um, travel ball or they've got baseball or they have practice. And, you know, you're exactly right. By the time you've done everything you're, you're, you're supposed to do as a middle school or high school athlete with regards to kind of academic um, training and your, your sports training, it doesn't leave a whole lot of time for sleep. And these are people, like you said, they're growing. The other thing, and I think is important, I think it's, it's an important goal for you to discuss this year is, is the diet and nutrition. Yeah. And um, it's hard when you're on the run and you're running from practice to school to home to homework to this, that, and the other, you're more likely to stop by McDonald's and grab something to eat, you know? And so I, I think that um, sleep, nutrition, healing, they're all very important. Yeah, absolutely. No question about it. And that awareness part of it is also, is also really important. Rest and recovery are every one of our programs it doesn't matter if it's a young, developing, grassroots-level player or organization or whether it's our pro guys. We always start with rest recovery, the quality and the amount our athletes can get inside of their day. And as you mentioned, there's a lot of things pulling at young athletes. School, maybe part-time jobs, maybe uh, other endeavors like uh, maybe hopefully some art or something on the artistic side, drama hopefully, yeah. as well as their sport. And now, of course, we see all these individual coaches. We have skill coaches. We have strength coaches. We have all these other things pulling at these young athletes. And it's all sort of ripping into that recovery time that's so important. And we look at our pro guys that's all they have they get in really condensed dedicated work periods and then maximum recovery so they can get back the next day and uh you know it was an interesting thing we we talk about in our in our programs tim you i think you might appreciate this you know we had some parents uh talking to us well i want my son uh, training like the pro guys <laughs> we, we just sit down and we talk well how about we have your son who's 12 or 13 or 9 years old train like the pro guys when they were 9 10 or 11 years old if that makes sense Right. Yeah, that's impossible. And, and, and the irony is if you had your son or daughter training like the pro guys and you asked the pro guy what they did at that age, they wouldn't be doing all the things they're doing now. Right. You know, and so it, I, it, I think it's coming from a good place. People want to do as, in, as a parent, I, I want to do everything I can. I have three kids and I want to do everything I can for them. But um, the irony is, is just letting them be a kid more, letting them spend a little more time um, just kind of dabbling in things, it, it would be better off for them. And I think that's kind of the, the, the meat and potatoes of some of the conversation we're having here is just, you know, not pushing them like a professional athlete because these professional athletes, they're, they're in their 20s or even 30s, and they've, um, they've developed to that point. Um, and it's just a, it's a very different situation. Yeah, no, that's a really, really good point. We have to make sure that we're addressing our athletes appropriately for their age, for their competitive levels, for their abilities, and also uh, as individuals because every athlete's a little bit different. Though, you know, we don't have to get too individualized early on. There are general themes that we have to address. There's no question about it. But you cannot treat a young athlete as if they were a pro. 
you're just setting them up for disastrous failure. So a uh, very, very important point right there. Okay, so we have to cut out for a quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue this very, very important discussion on specialization with Dr. Timothy Griffith right after this on Crush Performance. Stick around. You're listening to Crush Performance, your weekly source for sport performance and athletic development information. Get the Crush blogs, podcasts, and performance links at crushperformance.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Crush Performance, everybody. Thanks for sticking around over the break. Today, we are talking about one of our top priorities for 2020, and that is the very important conversation surrounding specialization. We are joined today by Dr. Timothy Griffith, head team physician for the Georgia Swarm of the National Lacrosse League and also team physician for our good friends at the Atlanta Braves. If you have any questions, comments, or thoughts you'd like to share, reach out to us. Crushperformance.com is the website. Info at Crush Performance is the email. You can get to us on Twitter at Jeff Crush and on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Search out Crush Performance. You can also text us in studio today at 101260. All right, well, coming off our last segment and to continue our discussion here, Dr. Griffith, there are so many other different benefits that go along with the sampling and diversity early on in an athlete's development. Um, Not only uh, do you get exposed to other sports, which can help you physically and mentally uh, develop better once you do specialize and pick the sport you're passionate about, but it also allows you to look at different sports that you might be not only physically better attuned to, but also mentally uh, attuned to. I had the luxury of working with some of the top squash players with a for a good period of time that's a very individual sport like our golfers for example and uh, they're different animals than our than our team athletes and when you talk to them about why they chose those pathways um, you know one of our top squash players he's world ranked you know when I was talking to him he grew up playing baseball and hockey with his pals and football and he just got to the point in his career when he was playing squash and all these other sports he didn't want his destiny in the hands of anybody else and that was his mentality he could have been successful as a number at a number of sports but isn't it interesting how he decided to pursue squash as an individual athlete sport it's amazing yeah it's, it's, it's very interesting and i think you know it goes to show you the more different things you learn in life the better you may be at what you ultimately decide you're going to do for example you know i played drums for years um when i was younger and you know as a drummer you it's kind of a hand-eye coordination kind of thing you know those same skills are very important for me as a surgeon now in arthroscopy, we have uh, multiple instruments in our hands and at our feet at all times. And it's, it's amazing. I never would have thought when I was a kid practicing as a drummer that this would translate one day into arthroscopic skills as a surgeon. No but kidding. Love and it. So I think that's where exposure to just as many different things as you can have will form useful tools for you. So, you know, as a squash player who had always played squash, you're going to be fairly narrow-sighted. But as someone who had played baseball and football and other sports before, there's going to be skills that they inherited or, or muscular movement patterns they inherited from those other sports that will probably benefit them uh, as a squash player overall. Yeah, and the context you get, and you can translate then into the sport that you're passionate about. Fantastic conversation. We're talking with Dr. Timothy Griffith, orthopedic surgeon, uh, team physician for the Atlanta Braves and the Georgia Swarm. It's really, really interesting. I love that story about the drums. I was... Um, uh, in in Africa uh, a few years ago with Major League Baseball developing the programs there, and uh, there was a young player who was drafted by a professional team, and he was one of those guys that was all in. He just breathed, 
ate, slept, never stopped thinking of baseball. And and I could see it was getting to him. You know, he's very anxious and very worried about his future. And, and you know, I, I, I took him aside one day and we just sat down and I asked him what other things he enjoys. And this might be the one of the most interesting things I've heard come out of an athlete's mouth. He says, he said to me, uh, you know, he says, I like landscapes. And I go, really? What, landscapes? And I, I just thought it was an interesting answer. I'd never heard it before. He goes, yeah, you know, I, I like um, all these places I've been lucky to go to, you know, with baseball around the world, playing for the national team and, and traveling around. He says, I just really enjoy the different landscapes. And I said, oh, really? He said, do you, what, do you draw them? Or do you, he says, no, I like to f- uh, photograph them. I said, well, hey, listen, you know, as you, as you embark on your professional career, why don't you take your camera and spend a lot of time, you know, when you're away from the ballpark, uh, maybe mastering your photography skills. And that's what he's done. And he's posted great pictures online. I believe he's even selling some of his pictures, different ballparks, minor league parks and towns they go to. How about that? Just to get away from the game a little bit. That's kind of what we're talking about. Right. That's and that's a beautiful point. I love the experiences that you've shared and that you've had. It's that's a great um, viewpoint that you have. And it's kind of like this this push we're seeing for meditation. Right. You know, we're seeing the benefits of just getting out of your own head, getting out of the drudge of daily life, getting out of your normal routine. It's almost like a reset button that that we all have. And and for this player you're talking about, he just needed to get away from just the same old thing. I think. That's important for people. I mean, you look at, at even these kids in high school who are just seeing the same coach every single day playing with the same other players. They're not meeting new people. They're not meeting different kinds of people um, where they would in different exposures. And so I, I think that's an excellent point you make. And a perfect example of you know, photography and, and is just another way to kind of get out of your own mind and kind of do something different. And I think that's extremely beneficial on a psychological level. And I think that's where we're seeing some of the things we discussed earlier, depression, um, you know, mental issues where a lot of times I think these kids just aren't kind of uh, getting out of the, their normal rut and they're not getting exposed to new or different types of people or different types of viewpoints or, or ideas. That make them well-rounded when they start choosing their specialized pathway later in life. Such great stuff. It's so great. So uh, great conversation today. We're talking with Dr. Timothy Griffith, orthopedic surgeon out of Atlanta, Georgia, team physician with the Braves and the Georgia Swarm. Tim, let me get back to this now. You know, you, you, know, uh, you mentioned um, um, you had a birthday recently for your twins. Congratulations. That's fun stuff. Thank you. Thank I, you. I have three daughters at home, and I've been coaching my uh, daughter's uh, soccer team for the last nine years when I can and when I'm That's around. Yes. Yeah, so, so to see that group of girls, it's community soccer. They're just out to play, to have fun. But I am absolutely alarmed at the ACL injuries, non-contact AC injuries, uh, ACL injuries in, in knees. And, you know, if we look at the data, uh, females are at higher risk for injury than males. And that's something I think we need to consider, um, not just in our development, but also for every single league, from volleyball to basketball to swimming, in their competitive scheduling. And I think some of these competitive schedules we're seeing are absolutely ludicrous. Definitely. And, and like you, I have three daughters as well. And so it's a, a concern I share in that, Females are about a five times higher risk than males with ACL injuries. And we've been trying to figure out why. And it's, some of the things we've found out are, are fascinating. Um, females land differently than males. They land with a relatively straight knee, which can create the extension-type mechanism injuries we see in ACL injuries. Um, even um, chemical differences, and, and uh, They've related to uh, estrogen and time of the month and, and how that changes the vascularity of the ACL. Um, we've seen in some studies that, that even uh, oral contraceptives 
are a benefit to ACL injuries because they're kind of modulating those uh, hormonal peaks. So it's, it's amazing the biochemical bio, uh, differences that we've seen, um, even anatomical differences in, in um, um, carrying angle at the knee joint or at the notch, which is inside the femur bone and how that relates to the ACL. Um, unfortunately, females are a little bit more set up to injure their ACLs than males, and that's um, routinely going to be a non-contact injury. And so some of the preventative programs we're seeing are really helping. And I think those are things that are working on kind of dynamic muscle control. And then it also um, speaks to, like you said, not having the same exposures. And soccer is the highest risk sport in uh, female patients. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a big concern of mine because I'm seeing it. Um, I'm seeing it with my own eyes. We read the data and of course we see all the studies, but to actually see these young girls who, you know, we, you know, for a community soccer team, you know, we do, I think more than usual in terms of preparing for the game. Um, but we don't see that in a lot of other teams or organizations because, well, simply people just don't know about the stuff. They don't know about the preventative side. But not only that, the schedules these leagues put out don't really – well, let me put it this way. They're not conducive for actually preparing athletes for the sport. I, and I'm telling you right now, I would like to see across the board in almost every developmental sporting league uh, fewer games early on, a little more training and preparation. And then, you know, you could start really getting into the leagues. And we'd have fewer injuries and we'd have more skilled players, in my humble opinion. Um, I think there's a lot of things we need to address here to reduce these risks, especially through those critical growth years. Definitely, definitely. I think, you know, like you said, the schedule, the sheer volume, um, and then fatigue. I think another high-risk factor for ACL, and this ter- this kind of um, funnels right back into, like we talked about, rest, nutrition, things like that, is just fatigue. And if you're playing you know, all weekend long in multiple games and you don't have time to warm up and you don't have time to rest, there's no question your risk is going to be higher. We'll, we'll throw in the fact that you're growing, throw in the fact that, you know, there's probably some muscle imbalances that you inherit as a growing young person, then you're, you're, you're just a setup for disaster. And, and you're right, the ACLs and, and the female patients, I, I imagine I see at least 50 ACL tears a year that require surgery in female uh, adolescents. Yeah, no, it's scary. It's scary. And prevention is one of the big things for sure. Let me ask you this, Tim, before we let you go, really appreciate the conversation today. But in your practice sure. as an orthopedic surgeon, you said something at the start of the uh, interview that I thought was really compelling. And it's the fact that uh, not everybody needs a surgery. And I think a lot of people get really confused as to, hey, do I need a surgery? Is my doctor right? Am I doing the right thing? Um, are there steps or processes that you believe in or you like to see um, before you pull the trigger on, on, on committing to a surgery? Well, yeah. I mean, I think the best, the best person to know whether or not you need a surgery or not is a surgeon. So you need somebody who can recognize injuries. And we're fortunate that we train in, in injury recognition, but probably the most important and sometimes much hardest or harder part of my job is knowing when to actually use a surgery to treat someone. And, and that's an extremely important thing. It's truly the art in what we do. Now it's easy if somebody's 15 years old and has a complete ACL tear, they're not going to be able to function at the level they'd like to function at with that tear. And so they're probably going to elect to have surgery. Um, but there's a lot of shades of gray. Things we see like rotator cuff injuries, uh, labral injuries, where a lot of times physical therapy is the way to go. So, you know, in my practice, it's um, knowing which injuries definitely need surgery, and some of those are the more traumatic or more 
um, serious injuries that are going to cause lifetime issues in the future, and then knowing those that, that are shades of gray. And in, in my hands, it's always easier to, to be conservative with things, let people try physical therapy, work on the things you can work on without surgery, and leave surgery as a last resort. Yeah, and the, some of the technology we now have, Tim, that allows you guys to uh, visualize or see or get more information before making these decisions, it's really incredible. Not how, not only how um, technology has changed uh, sport and injury management, but also how uh, the procedures have advanced and the things that you guys are doing once those surgeries happen. It's been incredible to see how quickly and how healthy these players are now returning compared to the olden days, I guess, even 15, 20 years Definitely. ago. I think, you know, MRI. MRI imaging is, is the quality of MRIs has become just unbelievable. I mean, it, once you know how to read an MRI, I mean, you, you're getting a real nice view into someone's knee, shoulder, elbow. Um, and then, like you said, with our arthroscopic equipment, um, should, should things come to surgery? I mean, we're looking, I, I have 4K screens in my operating room and the, the, um, the, um, quality of the images are unbelievable and we're able now to do things arthroscopically through just small little pokes or small little incisions that um, traditionally would have been a very large open procedure in the past and and so our risks of infection are much lower our our pain um, is uh, lower after surgery and then people I think are able to heal faster they're able to get physical therapy quicker and advance with physical therapy quicker as well so technology certainly made things um, easier for us in a lot of ways um, but there's always that kind of dark side where, well, there's, there's MRIs that have abnormal things that, that don't need anything done. And, um, you know, and the quality has gotten so good that we're finding things that, that may not matter, but they're not normal. And so knowing when those things matter clinically is uh, probably the more difficult part of our job. Yeah, no, very, very interesting for people that aren't familiar with that side of it and so, so important for sure once you get to the point where you're dealing with an injury. Tim, listen, uh, the other thing that's really pushing us forward is some of the data collection programs that we have. Uh, sort of the last thing I wanted to mention today, um, in Calgary you mentioned the STOP program, the Sports Traumatic Overuse Prevention uh, in Youth Sports Program, and things like the HIT system and some of the data collection in the professional leagues is also really, really interesting influencing how we're thinking about youth development and sport development now. Definitely. I, I think I really credit the MLB with uh, developing this um, health injury tracking system because it's, uh, it's set up a data collection service that, that has such higher numbers than previous studies. I mean, it, you know, we would look at a group of 25 professional baseball players and think that we had just amazing data 10, 15 years ago. And now we're looking at, you know, we've, we've looked at, at uh, Tommy John injuries at, at, with six to 700 players and, and so I, you're seeing the NFL, you're seeing a lot of the leagues really take ownership of this and really kind of start at a league level. Um, and so, I, and I'd like to see that continue maybe at the collegiate level as well. So the potential there is enormous. And, you know, statistically looking at things, the higher the numbers you have, the, the better your results are and, and the more likely your results are accurate. So that's very important going forward, trying to understand everything. Yeah. And at the end of the day, prevention is probably the best medicine, Tim. And I really, really appreciate your approach and, and the way you guys have gone about your business when it comes to uh, not just dealing and managing, but also educating people about the world of sport and sport injury. Definitely. No, I agree with you hundred percent on that. And so it's, it's an exciting future for all of us, I think right now um, and trying to figure out which tools are the best tools and how we're going to use those and, and how we're going to do use them to kind of benefit our athletes going forward. But uh, recognition is key at this point, um, prevention, um, 
and uh, not not pigeonholing ourselves too early, as we've been kind of discussing throughout the conversation. Yeah, great stuff. Such an important conversation. And I guess you well, you know, I better I better welcome you to the uh, three daughter club as well. Your head trainer George Poulos is a member, and so That's it. yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so even though we're highly outnumbered, we're very well taken care of. I'll tell you, <laughs> we we hosted. That's good to hear. Yeah. yeah, no, I love it. It's yeah. been great. Yeah, we it's we hosted. Really fun. Yeah, my daughters are older now. We hosted uh, five Christmas dinners over the holidays, and I'm telling. You what it shows i gotta get i gotta get after it here in 2020 and uh, those girls man they uh they like to cook and celebrate so uh congratulations on that and and i really appreciate your time today tim really great stuff oh and that's a that's a pleasure thank you so much for having me and i think that was a perfect segue into the sugar conversation later of the year <laughs> yeah sounds great such an important important conversation and the crush war on sugar is raging this year we can't wait to get you in on that one for sure good for you that's fantastic Great. All right. Talk to you next time, Tim. Thanks so much for today. Excellent. Thanks for having me. All right. There you go, everybody. Dr. Timothy Griffith, head team physician for the Georgia Swarm of the National Lacrosse League, also team physician for our good friends at the Atlanta Braves, orthopedic surgeon at Peachtree Orthopedics in Atlanta, Georgia. He specializes in the shoulder, elbow, and knee. Just great information, especially coming from that side of the sporting industry. Somebody who's actually dealing with the damage that's being done in sport at every single level. And it's so much information in this interview. Um, I'm going to go back and listen to it. If you could, please share this information because these are the types of conversations that might just save some athletes moving forward. We do need to shift our thinking and our strategies, you know, with the greatest of intentions. Could you, could I, could we collectively be doing more damage than good? Now, don't get me wrong. There's certainly a place in a time to dig in and specialize in a sport. And you never, ever want to squash an athlete's passion for a sport. But as coaches, parents, leaders in sport, we also have to have our eye on the big picture. Because um, if you look at the long game in sport development, across the board, you'd have a very, very difficult time trying to justify early specialization for the majority of sports. Now, there may be a few. Uh, gymnastics, maybe diving, maybe figure skating. These could be maybe classified as early specialization sports where you know getting there a little bit younger would be good, but you still need to be diversified. You still need to be a well-rounded athlete in all of those sports. Those sports, by the way, track and field and gymnastics, tumbling, they all also in early developmental years really, really lay an important foundation that can raise the ceiling of potential for everybody who participates in sport as they get older, especially into their late teens and early 20s. So you have to have your eye on this long game. Such a great conversation. Again, if you want to go back, I'm going to go back. Uh, go to our website, crushperformance.com. The podcast will all be posted there. And you can also uh, get them on Twitter. We post them regularly, the links to all of our podcasts. But this is an important conversation and one that we're going to continue to focus on here through 2020. Uh, there's lots of sides to this, but I think this was a really, really good start. Again, got to thank Dr. Timothy Griffith for joining us. All right, well, that'll do it for today, everybody. I want to thank you for tuning in and also for maybe sharing the show. Again, these are the conversations that just might turn the page and help out athletes both for the short term and also for the long haul because let's face it, athlete development, player development, it's a long game. You have to keep your eye on the prize down the road. There are no shortcuts, trust me. They're just not out there. You have to go through the process if you want to have success at the top of the game. It's very, very difficult to, to cut those corners. And specialization, for the most part, is a very, very risky 
risky game to play as we discuss. All right, great, great stuff. Coming up next week on Crush Performance, we focus on another one of our 2020 priorities. That's the Crush War on Sugar. We're going to recap where we're at. We're going to talk about how you can protect yourself, your children, your athletes, your employees, anybody you care about. We have to cut out the sugar. We're also going to be talking nutrition uh, with some of the top minds in the industry. So stay tuned for that coming up next week on Crush Performance. Until then, everybody, get out there, get busy, get better, and we'll talk to you next week. Don't forget to ride. Hey gang, Jerry P. Tuck here, co-host of A Place for My Head. Each week, Brandon Thompson and I are going to be talking about the importance of mental health. We're going to be talking everything from stress, anxiety, different mental illnesses, different chronic illnesses, and frankly, the rigors of everyday life and how we all struggle to get through it. We're not medical professionals, but... We are looking to start that conversation that needs to be had about the stigma around mental illness and how it affects us every single day. We'll talk to experts, but at the end of the day, A Place for My Head is all about real people with real stories about real life. Check out A Place for My Head with Brandon Thompson and myself, Jerry P. Tuck, each week on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com.